Five women in Honolulu, Hawaii, wound up murdered, giving birth to a Hawaiian serial killer. But did the man that was responsible die and take his story of what happened to these women with him? Or did he just stop one day? Could he be living somewhere else? Killing somewhere else? And we just haven't made that connection yet. The Honolulu Strangler could still be on the loose somewhere. Because even though we have five victims, this case is still, and will probably remain, unsolved. Hey guys, and welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Lulu, and today is episode two of the Honolulu Strangler. If you remember last time, we talked about all of the victims that fell to this Honolulu Strangler. Um, I'm going to remind you right now that this is still an unsolved case. Um, They have all of their suspicions. They think they knew who it was. But unfortunately, with them dying, they are now unable to be able to close this case if it is them, unless more, you know, information or things like that comes forward. So, so like I said, we talked about the victims last time and then who they believe, we started to talk about at least who they believed was responsible or at least involved. Now... This man, like we talked about last time, was Howard Gay. Howard actually perfectly matched that FBI profile that had been created previously in this case. This profile consisted of the Honolulu Strangler being male in his late 30s or 40s. He would have had no prior criminal record and was probably experiencing some sort of marital or girlfriend problems in his life at the moment. They also hypothesized that he would be driving a cream-colored van and would be working in the area that these women were found around. They also, and this I guess doesn't really directly tie to Howard, but they also believed that he was an opportunist who would watch out for his victims and he would wait for the perfect time to snatch them up and murder them. They were never really super planned. It didn't seem like it was mostly like they fell into his lap and he took advantage of the moment, as bad as that is to say. And Howard was also being connected to every single one of these murders in some way. Some of these different ways that he was being tied to these were that he worked at the airport that most of these victims were dumped near or had left previously. He lived very, very close to where two of the victims had disappeared. He had informed them about one of the victims' bodies and he actually drove a cream-colored van that was seen multiple times. He also had a vasectomy, which is important to notice. They knew by the semen left on these women that the man who had raped and murdered these women had a vasectomy. They also knew that he had access to the type of cord that was used to strangle these victims because he worked at the airport. One last piece of evidence was that one of these women had actually written down his phone number. 
So all of this obviously pointed towards Howard right off the bat. But a lot of this was all circumstantial evidence. Um, the reason that they thought the man responsible would be driving this cream-colored vehicle was because it was sighted, supposedly, at one of these murders or around the area of one of these murders. But they could never really tie him down to any of this. He could have always been in the wrong place at the wrong time, if you really think about it. Not that I think that that's what happened, but like I said, it's all circumstantial. Let's jump back to these bodies really quick. These bodies were always placed in a way that they could tell that the killer wanted them to be found. For example, Regina was actually fastened to the shore, so her body would not drift off into the water. He did try to sort of cover them up some of them up with, you know, leaves and sticks and he wrapped one in a tarp. But if you think about it, that's really a half-hearted way at hiding these bodies. He didn't care that much and he probably just wanted it to look like he put in some effort instead of just, you know, dumbing them on the side of the road, which obviously he really didn't put that much effort in because he wanted to get caught and they could tell that right away. I do want to bring you back at what we did talk about though in the first episode and there was that lack of a defensive wounds. Apparently Howard was a very smooth talker and what they expected would happen was that Howard would lure them into his van using pickup lines, nice words, or honestly just, I mean, he used to give people rides all the time. So maybe they just knew him as this nice guy. The authorities felt like once these women were in the van, he would still somehow play that manipulative man. He would manipulate these women and gain their trust. Then he would bind them up with a cord, rape them, and strangle them afterwards. I am not sure 100% on the timeline of how they died. I do not know if they were, you know, alive when they were raped. I couldn't find anything like that, you know, or if they were dead already. But everything that I read said bound, raped, and strangled. So all of these women were probably awake when this happened. And they also believed that Howard may have stalked some of these women. And when, you know, the right moment happened, he would pick them up at the bus stop. Um, they still were very opportunistic kills, even if he was stalking them, because he never seemed to really plan what he was going to do. There was not, you know, a lot of pattern in that aspect of things. Once these women were dead, he would then drive and dump them off, you know, in different bodies of water, bury them, wrap them in tarps, very close to that airport that he worked at. There was also one woman that they found within a very short drive of his home. Like he had dropped off her body on his way home when he was done with it. He would just threw it out pretty much, which is heartbreaking. Um, I want to place a little bit more information about 
Howard that I have. It is said by his ex-wife and his current girlfriend that he was very fond of bondage activities. I want to put a disclaimer in here. Just because somebody is fond of bondage or anything like that does not make them a bad person. I feel like you hear a lot of people talking bad about these kind of people and about how, oh, they were into bondage, so they must be a serial killer. No, that is not true. It's kind of like one of those things where you're like, oh, they smoke weed. That must mean they're a druggie. Sorry, but that's not really how it works. So you can be all up into whatever you want, bondage, whatever. Doesn't mean you're a bad guy. Doesn't mean you're a serial killer. But they did think that this was interesting, that he was very, very, very into bondage and all of his women were found bound up in some way. There was also talk that when he would get into any sort of fight, especially with his significant other, he would storm out of the house and he would not show back up home until very, very late at night. And these were often times that matched up with the women that had died. Almost like in a rage, he went and drove around, found somebody to pick up, to take home, you know, not really to take home, but to like act like he's going to take them home. And then he takes his anger out on them. One of his victims, Linda, actually had another woman who had seen her before she went missing and wound up murdered. She informed the police that she had seen Linda with a man that night that she was not aware of who he was. When they asked Linda if she could pick him up out of a lineup of people, she said that she would try, obviously. They brought this lineup in and she picked Howard out of the lineup of all these other men, which just puts even more suspicion on Howard. But let's move into the investigation now. That's kind of all we have about the suspicions of Howard. So they really didn't have any suspects until after that fifth murder. And that is where Howard came in. Howard offered to do a polygraph exam. Now, the results of this were not amazing. They were inconclusive. So, I just want to remind you that a polygraph, you can't bring a polygraph into court. It does not hold up as evidence. And that is because a polygraph is very, very easy to mess up on. It's very easy to lie to a polygraph and to fool them. It's very easy to, you know, answer a question at the beginning that they know would be true, but make your heart rate jump so that the whole thing goes off inconsistent. Like, it's very easy to fake a polygraph, so they can't actually use it. The reason law enforcement likes to use polygraphs is because it sort of gives them an idea on who they should be looking at. If they were to put, you know, a murderer in a room and the dad of a victim and the dad passed with flying colors, they are less likely to look more into the dad. Whereas if the murderer was inconsistent, they didn't know it was the murderer at the time, they would look more into them. So it's not really 
evidence, if that makes any sense. And also, if you are ever involved in anything and you ever have an officer or any sort of law enforcement ask you to take a polygraph, just refuse. You should never take a polygraph. A polygraph, if you are nervous and sit down and do it, is a great way to get the cops to just hound in on you. So it's one thing I've learned from researching after researching. Never, ever do a polygraph. Now, after this inconclusive result for this polygraph test, he decided to let them search his home. They didn't find anything, and they ended up having to release him after 10 hours of questioning. Because even though they felt like they were onto something and they had all this circumstantial evidence, they did not have anything to keep Howard on. He was allowed to walk free. Now, during this time, I want to mention that DNA analysis was still in its infancies. It was still not great at doing things. And so even though they had semen that was left at the scene and they can tell that, you know, this killer had had a vasectomy, they could not trace it back to the owner quite yet. But they were able to re-arrest Howard on May 9th because at this point they felt like they had enough ground to charge him with Linda's murder. But just as quickly as they arrested him, they had to let him go. They had to release him because they did not have enough evidence to hold and charge him after all. They ended up placing him on surveillance for years. You guys, they had nothing else on Howard. But nothing came of this surveillance and the killings stopped. A private business even placed up to a $25,000 reward for any information or leads to try and catch the Honolulu Strangler or to convict Howard. But nothing came of this. I wanted to also mention that once Howard got arrested for Linda's murder and let go, that is when these killings stopped. But he moved back to California in June of 1986. He claimed that this was to see his son graduate from high school. Remember, his family did not follow him to Hawaii. Now, just a, a sad little, little, you know, thing to add into here. Only three days after his son Jason graduated from high school, he ended up getting into a car accident and died, which is like kind of heartbreaking. Like he was just about to get his life ready, like on track. He was about to do stuff. Anyways, sorry. But after all this happened, Howard ended up deciding that he was not going to return to Hawaii. And he got a job as a FedEx worker in Tennessee. Now, Howard Gay died of kidney failure in November of 2003. And you guys, that's where the story ends. The Honolulu Strangler killed five women. And they wanted to get caught. They were leaving these bodies out to get caught and they were never caught. It's heartbreaking to think that 
This story is an unsolved case and could very much well stay an unsolved case. I would be very curious on if they still had any sort of DNA from one of these bodies that they pulled. I know Howard is not alive to give a sample, but there has been cases where they get people in his line somewhere and they get a sample from them. And then they just kind of follow that DNA line down, you know, until they get to the person whose it was. So I wonder if they have this or if they, you know, only took a swab to check to see if they had a vasectomy and then threw it away, which would feel very unprofessional. But I mean, this is an older case and that could be what, you know, what happened. But yeah, I don't know, you guys. I know this was a shorter episode today and I wish it was a little longer, but what do you think? Do you think that it was Howard? I mean, once he went to the police and informed them of the body and then got arrested and the killing stopped and he moved away, that really to me is what seals the deal for me that it was Howard. All of the circumstantial evidence, yes, I definitely think that it was probably Howard, but the fact that he went and told them after they hadn't found this body, he was probably antsy. He probably wanted them to find the body because, I mean, serial killers play the game. He likes the game. He likes the chase. And he probably was sick of waiting for them to find this body. And so he informed the police. And then I bet you when they arrested him for Linda's murder and then had to re-release him because, you know, they didn't have enough evidence to stand on, he probably got a slap of reality that was like, no, this is like... I'm actually doing this and I could actually go to jail for this. Like I almost got caught and that's why he stopped and moved away. He probably ran. It makes me wonder if there's anybody else, you know, in California or Tennessee that matches that MO because I feel like if there is other cases that they could tie to this outside of Hawaii, somewhere where Howard lived, that they could find him that at that point they could say yes this was Howard do you do you know what I mean but anyways I know it's a shorter episode today and I'm sorry and but I really felt like this should be a two-parter and I also felt like if I put you know this all together it would be a very long episode so yeah what do you guys think do you think that Howard Gay was the Honolulu Strangler because the authorities were almost positive that Howard was the Honolulu Strangler. But without any evidence, solid evidence, to back this up or anything else, they could not be 100% sure. Many people believe that they had the Honolulu Strangler and they let him get away with the murder of five women. Is it possible that Howard was the murderer? Do you think he got away with it? Could the Honolulu Strangler still be alive? Or did Howard take the truth and the stories of these five women with him when he died? There may be false or misleading information throughout this podcast. 
All facts have been researched to the best of my abilities, but accidents do happen. If this is a story you are interested in knowing more about, I highly recommend doing your own research. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.